This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that wishes it had just some of Warren Buffett's problems. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me today is Anirban Mahati. G'day, Doc. Good day, Captain. How are you? I'm exceptionally well. In fact, I am so well, I'm not even here. Ah. When I say on the podcast today, what I really mean is on the podcast last week, because as this is going to air, I'm away, you're away. Mm-hmm. We are both enjoying different parts of the world. I'm, I'm off in country New South Wales on a road trip with my wife and son, enjoying a bit of Dubbo Zoo and, a, and a, bit of, uh, a bit of farm stay, which should be awesome. Put a couple of bucks back into the rural economies in a, in a time of drought. Where are you off to, mate? Doing anything exciting? I'm, I'm uh, giving my money to Sunshine Coast. Hey, there you Help, go. Helping Queensland. All about local tourism, fools. Just helping jump, the local tourism. Jump in and enjoy. All right, that's where we are now, but... We couldn't have you. Do you know, Doc, every single week since we started this podcast, we have delivered a podcast, Rain, Hail or Shine, every single week. That is awesome. Isn't that good? That is awesome. I, that, if I do so that's, myself. That's, that's commitment, right? Isn't it? Yeah. And we, expect, money, mate. And, we, and we expect the listeners to do the same. Well, Listen you, every time. Exactly. That's right. If we're going to put this out here, listeners, I'm sorry, you're going to have to put the hard yards in, slog your way through this awful podcast that you're absolutely hating. We'll try and make you laugh. We'll try and give you a smile, help you. In develop a little bit as an investor. As The Motley Fool likes to say, we're here to educate, amuse, and enrich. So if we're doing a little bit of that each time, we're doing a decent job. Now, as I said, Doc, we, we aren't here right now. So we did prepare some more evergreen content, some stuff that doesn't rely on what's happening with share prices. So if a big bit of news broke yesterday, we're just not going to cover it. But That's we'll right. pick it up next week. So, uh, right. Fools, we are going to get a little bit of mailbag, a little bit of some evergreen investing ideas just to talk you through. Uh, this is kind of, put this in the in the educate, maybe hopefully amuse as well. And hopefully as a result, you'll be enriched. Uh, we're going to try and help you understand a little bit more of our foolish investing philosophy, partly thanks to you who have sent us in some questions and partly with some ideas that we've come up with ourselves. And as I like to say almost every week, please hit us up. Uh, We love hearing what you guys have to say, what you think, the questions you've got, because this podcast is your podcast. Uh, Frankly, as much as Doc and I like the sound of our own voices, there's not much point in doing it if you're not getting something out of it. So if you've got a question, a comment, a bit of feedback, feel free to hit us up at The Motley Fool AU on Twitter. You can email us at info at fool.com.au. Or you can also get us individually on Twitter. Doc is at Anirban Mahanti, and I'm at TMF Scott P. That's all done. Let's get on with it. Yeah, let's get on with so it. So the first question we had, uh, I, I always, lo- I always love podcasts that start the, the questions that start with "love the podcast" because I get to say it out loud and it makes me feel better, and it's all about me. I love the podcast, <laughs> lads. Um, question for the podcast: My ultimate financial goal is to move from my day job to be a stock picker. Well, don't take our job. Just just, just settle down there. He's trying to get uh, our job. Exactly. <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> that can sustain on enough income and growth to cover my lifestyle. I'm 32 and building a nice nest egg. I see education as key to be ready for this change. What books or learning materials would you recommend? Cheers. That's a really good one because it does a few things. So obviously we'll talk about the stock picking, um, but it, it's also hopefully for our listeners who are at some point in their investing journey where they're just getting started, where they've been doing it for a while. We're going to hit you up with some ideas, some resources, some things that help you make, make to help make you, I should say, a much better investor. Now I'm going to start with a, just a general comment, Doc, and I'm going to throw it over to you to give some specific ideas. What I love about The Motley Fool is that the vast majority of the investing team right around the world aren't from a traditional finance background. Mm-hmm. I came out of business. I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't work for a stockbroker. I wasn't a research analyst at a fund. Um, I worked for some FMCG companies, including Blackmores, as I've mentioned before. I think I mentioned that last week. Um, you came out of the science world. Mm-hmm. We've had, we've got, we've got our, our co-founders are both English majors, mm-hmm. as it turns out. Um, we've got a whole range of people with hugely different amounts of experience and background. Um, that's what I love about The Fool. We don't kind of take a traditional view of what finance has to be. 
Um, and we've kind of come to it from our different perspectives, which I think makes us a much better team of investors for what it's worth. Um, but it also shows there are many different ways to skin this particular cat. So I'm going to I'm gonna guess your advice is not go to uni, do a finance degree, do a postgraduate finance degree, do a CFA, and then you're ready for a job. No, definitely not. Right. So, uh, I mean, okay, I'm, I'm going to do a bit of a promotion here. I would say, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say a good place to learn our style of investing yes. is to join one of our services. Oh, right? You know you're not getting commission for this, right? I'm not getting any commission. Oh. And, I, and I, I really mean this because <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, one, you know, one of the things we do in almost all our services, actually in all our services, I mm-hmm. should say, is we provide commentaries. And right. one of the things we do in our commentaries is we, you know, educate. We mm-hmm. try to explain in a nice way, in an easy to understand way, how you could go about doing investing for the long term. Right. And a lot of that has got to do with building temperament. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so... Uh, there is, there's no cookbook here that one can, uh, you know, pick up for investing. So investing right. is a bit about learning from your life experiences, from your previous experiences in different mm-hmm. industries. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a bit about, you know, uh, learning to read um, the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so by books, I mean, you know, the balance sheet and the cash flow statements and income statements. And mm-hmm. these are things that you could, you know, find various resources to learn. But, but I think one of the most important things I have found as an investor, and if I have to give direct resources in mm-hmm. addition to, of course, our services, which I think you know uh, um, are a good place to start would be good answer. Um, uh, <laughs> that's a good answer always <laughs> um, it would be to think about um, the mental sort of the temperament part mm. you know most most investors get undone by temperament mm-hmm. So I would say, pick up a book about behavior. Um, you know, uh, you know, behavior, behavioral aspects of mm-hmm. of investing. Um, I think that there's there are a couple of really good books. I forgot the name of the, one of them right now. It's not coming to my head. Um, John, I think it's uh, Mortier. John Mortier has yes. a behavioral investing. The book. little book of behavioral. The little finance? book of behavioral finance. So behavioral investing. There you go. A little book of behavior. It's yep. called a little book of behavioral investing. You Thank go. you, Captain. That's a really good book. It's a really good it's book. A I really like that. A lot. Easy to read, re- easy to understand. Yep. Um, James Montier, I think it is. James Montier. Yep. Yep. Uh, that is a fantastic book. I really think good. it's a really good, easy book to um, to read. Um, I would also say that, you know, uh, Buffett's letters yep. right, uh, are great. And they're free, available on the Berkshire Hathaway website. Mm-hmm. Just read all of them. Yep. I mean, again, he makes it really easy to understand. Yep. Um, so that's a great resource. I'm going to add to that very quickly, man. I'll let you keep talking. But one thing I do like, if, you, if you've got to spare 20 bucks, um, the letters are available for free, and I think that's great. Mm-hmm. What I would say, though, for what it's worth from my perspective, is that I think you can actually get a little bit more value if you want mm. to spend the money by buying the book called The Essays of Warren Buffett. Yes. Lawrence Cunningham edits it. Yes, you've got to pay for it. It's free online. So you could do it. You can you do yourself almost as good a job if you spend your time reading the, the letters online. The difference is that uh, Cunningham has basically put them in topic areas and, and, and kind of put them in context, some sort of sort of flow over the years. So you get, you get a sense of kind of the lesson on a particular topic over a number of annual letters. And so that, t- that starts to give you a better holistic thematic view of what Buffett's saying. So I would absolutely jump on the website, grab those, they're free, do it, just do it because it's free and it's there and it's, you won't get better. Uh, but if you've, got, if you've got 20, 25 bucks, whatever it costs, spring for the book just because it puts it in context and really gives you a much better 
because these are some, some of the letters are now are 30, 40 years old, it really does put that in a, in a better um, context of the right word to help understand what the, the topics that Buffett's covering, the points he's making, and how that thinking evolves over time. But keep no, going. That, that's true. And what he has done really well in that book is he has actually organized the different letters into chapters, right? right? Which, right. which is really useful. Yep. Um, I think that's really useful. Um, the, uh, the Actually, the, the Little Book series as a whole, there are a number of other books yeah. in that series that, that, uh, that, are, that are useful mm-hmm. if you, you know, if one wants to read. Um, if you're interested in tech investing, the you know a book that I really liked was the Gorilla Game. That um, was good. That was a fantastic book, actually, uh, in in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of you know put. Uh, uh, high tech investing, high growth investing in perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many other books. Again, I can I can think of, but you know, I think these are really sort of good starting points. Yep. Yep. That's that's what I can think of. Nice one. I'll give I'll give some my thoughts. Um, I, to be a great investor, you don't necessarily need to be a great technical investor. What you need to do is be a great student of business. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, there are to, to Doc's point. There, you want to be able to understand the balance sheet, the income statement, the cash flow statement. You definitely want to be able to understand how. Um, you know the, the kind of the kind of accounting concepts. I'll get to that in a second. But the first, you know, knowing how businesses operate. If you've worked in or around the business, that gives you a huge head start. Um, as much as I didn't come from a finance background, I worked with sales and marketing teams for the longest time in, in industry, and my job was to help them understand that the, the levers of their business. So when you start, then do it as an investor, you're looking at those same levers, but from the outside and trying to work out how they work. So that's been really helpful for me. In that vein, I would highly recommend uh, Jim Collins's book, Good to Great. I think that is a spectacularly mm-hmm. good book. It is um, you'll you'll appreciate this as a scientist. I know you've said this before, so I'm taking the words out of your mouth. Uh, but it's a very, very rigorous piece of research, not just a book about general fluffy thoughts. This is a piece that was done very scientifically. Some of the examples have dated. In fact, some of the examples that went good to great have actually then gone terribly after mm-hmm. that. So these things can go away as well, and you always want to keep an eye on stuff. But the description of success, whether you're a business person or whether you're an investor or both, um, they are huge. That's hugely, hugely valuable. I'd highly recommend that. Buffett's letters, as you say, Doc, are an absolute must for people starting and investing. A uh, little book of behavioral finance is important. For those who are writing these things down, another couple of books, uh, One Up on Wall Street by mm. Peter Lynch mm-hmm. uh, and Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits by Phil Fisher. Mm-hmm. They are two books that are absolute must-reads. They are in the canon of, of getting started investing. Um, I agree with your comments on behavioral investing, as I said. I think what I also would say to people is if you are going to become an investor and you wanted to put some degree of effort into it, I actually would, and this, is, this will have most of our listeners switching off, Doc, so stay tuned. Um, I actually think it's worth having a little bit of a look into studying accounting in some form or other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I didn't do accounting as a, as a as a major. I did management as a major, a commerce degree with a management major. Uh, but I studied a couple of subjects of accounting, and it was enough to give me the basic fundamentals of how businesses work. So yes, you want to understand the financial statements. That's the financial accounting side. But the management accounting side, again, being a student of business, management accounting is a really nice framework. And so I would just honestly, if you're an investor out there, you want to give yourself a bit of a go, do a couple of undergrad subjects. You can just jump on a uh, do them online now, do them with a university. Um, jump on and go go to one of the big unis or one of the small unis. I, I did some work through UNE uh, online. Um, do their accounting one and accounting two or accounting A and B, whatever they call their subjects, just to give yourself that understanding of, of the mechanics of it. Um, it might cost a couple of bucks, but it's well, well worthwhile. This the Accounting is the language of business, as they say. It's a horrible cliche, but it happens to be exactly true. Uh, so I, I'd highly recommend that. Um, and then I think, as you say, mate, I think that, you know things like podcasts are really useful. Mm-hmm. I think hearing about and from other investors um, but I think if you start there, that, that's that's not a bad starting place. Um, I like your suggestion of the gorilla game. I think that's that's particularly useful. 
Howard Marks, uh, the most important thing is a, is an interesting read. It's a little bit technical, a little bit a little bit kind of dense. So don't start there. Uh, but that gives you a different perspective from a guy who's very very different to the gorilla game. It's not not high mm-hmm. tech. It's not growth. He, he, Marks is a value investor, a, a reasonably hardcore value investor. Um, but again, to give you a, a range of of approaches and styles, uh, Marks isn't a bad way to go. Have we covered that one, mate, you reckon? I think we have. All that's, right. That's a lot. Excellent. Yes, hopefully it's giving you something. If you didn't catch those names, just rewind the podcast by a minute or two and grab those book names. Uh, if you've got any other suggestions, feel free to hit us up or any other questions and jump at it as well. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right. Our second question comes from John Doc. And John says, okay, guys, I've got a question. My bank shares delivered a 12.5% return fully franked dividend this year on the original price. Since purchase, the value of the shares has almost doubled. As long-term thinkers, should we really avoid banks? I like I like this question a lot, mate. There's so much in this question. Mm-hmm. So we'll try and do it justice. Um, man, where do we start? All right. 12.5% fully franked dividend yield. Sounds on the too, original sounds price. Sounds too good to be true. That's right. But it's at the original price. So if you bought it 20 years ago at all right, but if I put hundred bucks, price. if I put hundred bucks down, I get twelve dollars back a year. It's not a bad result, is it? Oh, it's not a bad result. But I mean, the question is that if you could do significantly better than that, why wouldn't you do it? But it's twelve and a half percent. I don't do anything. It's already just throwing money at me. Oh, but 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 it was like you know, twenty years ago, you put some money in, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, uh, okay. Look, I think. Tell me, tell uh, me, tell me about the follow with with. Yeah. Uh, John's it's right anchoring. To ask the right? You're, you're right. anchoring on you're anchoring on the price at which you bought the shares. Right. And the price at which you bought the shares is completely immaterial right now. I mean, it's material in the sense that okay, you know, you bought it at that price and it has become this much. Yep. But but today the the banks are. You know, bank share price is this, and yep. that's what is relevant. Yep. And that's what the market is saying the value of the company is, right? Yep. And if you think it's undervalued, cool, hold on to the shares. But if you think it is, you know, fairly valued or overvalued, mm-hmm. then maybe you should sell or maybe sell some, right? And there are other implications like tax and so on. So you know, always talk to your accountant. But I think anchoring anchoring on, on the price which you, you know, purchased a share is, is not a good idea because, I mean, the shares might have 100 bagged for you, but maybe they're not growing anymore. And if they're not growing anymore, you, they're probably better places for your own money, right? Mm. right. I, I, you know, there's no, I don't believe in this concept of what is house <laughs> money. There's no such thing as house money. It's all your money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, I think that, that that's the number one uh, thing there. So, yes, yeah, 12 and a half percent fully franked on the original price i would not look at that way i'd look at it how much is it how much how much franking are you getting which would like be like five six percent right uh on the current prices that's what it is really uh, and if there are better places then i would look at better places that that would be number one um why should you avoid banks we've talked about this in the last podcast you know again lots of issues with the banks lots of problems with the banks um, are they fundamentally broken? No, but they're having a difficult time. They're having to transition, and yep, yep. It, and and the clouds are going to be there for some time until you know the banks sort of sort themselves out. Right now, it's not really a high growth place. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and add to that doc. You've done a spectacular job of summarising. I'm gonna try and add a couple of thoughts and see if I can. Uh, let's see if you can't improve the silence. Shut up. So let me see if let me see if I can improve the otherwise silence because silence isn't great for a podcast. Let me, <laughs> let me give it a go. Um, yeah, John. I think to Doc's point, you you are you are absolutely right to be looking at the return you're making, and that's really important. The, the question, I guess, I would ask is that um, as, as Doc's about anchoring, if you start with a hundred bucks and you're you invested it, so you say you double your money, so let's say your hundred bucks turned to two hundred bucks, which is great, and you're getting your 
12 and a half percent in your original costs are called six percent in your current cost, right? So that's where we're at now. You got two hundred dollars worth of shares. You make six and a quarter on the current. That was twelve and a half on the original because the shares have halved, so the yield. Sorry, shares double, so the yield is halved. The question is so much isn't so much now. How have you done versus that past cost? But what is the opportunity cost of using that money today? Now, if you had two opportunities from today, and you said, well, if I leave the money in the banks, I can get my twelve dollars fifty a year out of my hundred bucks. So that's twelve and a half percent forever. And maybe the bank's shares stay roughly flat, maybe go up slightly, right? So that, that's 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 what might happen. The alternative might be to invest in another company whose shares double from here, even though the yield is lower. And so the question would be, do you want to get a flat 12.5% on your original cost, which is 6% on now, and no capital growth? Or do you want to double your money? And so when you start to think about the opportunity cost, it's not so much where have I come from, that is the anchoring part, but where do we go to from here? The only question you should be asking is, what are my shares worth now? And if I... One great way of starting to think about your portfolio, we never would suggest this ever, but conceptually it's a great thought exercise, is imagine that your shares are sold at the end of every trading day. In fact, some famous fund managers have actually done that, sold their entire portfolio at the end of every trading day, and they're forced the next morning to then rebuy the portfolio in the appropriate combination they think they feel convicted about. I don't know for my own portfolio, I own shares that frankly I wouldn't probably buy today, mm-hmm. but I've still got them because I've kind of still got them and I really should sell them because I wouldn't buy them if they were there today. They're just kind of there because I've always had them. Mm. So the question for you, John, is, and for all of our listeners is, you're 200 bucks because your shares have doubled. If I said to you, you've got no shares in your portfolio, here's 200 bucks, what are you going to buy? Now, if the answer is genuinely banks, then great. As Doc said, if you think it's great value, then by all means do it. The bigger question that we should all be asking as investors is, if I was forced to liquidate my portfolio tonight, what would I buy, not so tomorrow morning, because you're probably hearing this on a Friday, uh, what would I buy Monday morning? And if the answer isn't the shares you currently hold, then holding them just because you own them is not the right approach. With the one caveat Dr. already mentioned, which is tax. So yes, if you doubled your money, you're going to pay a decent chunk of that in tax. You've then got to rebuy a portfolio with even less money than you've got now. So there's also a, a negative mm-hmm. opportunity cost of selling, if you like, which you've got to pay the tax out when you sell. So I hope that helps a little bit. Think about what you can do with the money today and what the best return will be into the future that's the company you want to invest in, not the one that's giving you great returns to now, which is fantastic. That's awesome and it's, it's wonderful. Uh, but anchoring to a past share, past purchase price is not particularly useful when you could redeploy that cash somewhere else today, potentially for a better return. In terms of the banks, I, again, I will I will echo Doc's thoughts. I, If as an investor, your aim is to beat the market, and for most of us it should be, uh, I think there are better places for, for your money than the banks. And so I, I, I'm not... I'm not I'm not outright bearish in the banks. I'm probably a little bit bearish, quite frankly, but I'm not, not particularly convicted about that bearishness. I'm certainly not shorting the banks or anything else. So I don't have a really, really strong view on where the bank share prices will go. What I do feel like is, though, there are many, many better ideas than the banks. So do I want to avoid them as an article of faith? Possibly, but that's not the strongest motivator. My strongest motivator is simply I've got another 20, 30, 40 better ideas. And so if you're asking me, here's 100 bucks, where do you want to put it? Banks fall way far down the list, and I, I wouldn't own them because I think it's going to cost you money relative to other growth opportunities you could otherwise find. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, I've got a question for you. Mm-hmm. We, I kind of alluded to this in the last podcast, but for some listeners who either weren't listening or didn't listen or who are brand, brand new, I remember back in January 2016, mm. RBS, Big mm-hmm. Bank, came out and said, sell everything. Ooh. 
How's, <laughs> the, how's the market gone since then? It's up, isn't it? It's up a lot. It would have been expensive to sell everything. It has been expensive. I, I mean, they, they sell everything pundits. You know, there have been lots of them. I mean... Uh, <laughs> every year, right? Every year. Like, I mean, you know, I actually wrote an article for Extreme Opportunities not too long ago about this, uh, and, and I only went up to 2012. Um, Bill Gross, who's a, a famous uh, investor, of, you know, founder of PIMCO mm-hmm. in the US, I mean, he said in 2012, the age of credit expansion, which led to double-digit portfolio returns is over 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 and and then we're having double digit <laughs> returns since then right yep. so i mean if you sold everything and i don't know went to bonds or you know mm-hmm. cash or something mm-hmm. you have lost out on enormous gains yep. and and some people are perma bears right perma bears they're always bearish they you know for them the crash is always happening and the, and the problem with these guys is if I keep saying there's going to be a crash every day, eventually I'm going to be right. Yep. Right. So, so none of these people, and neither do we, <laughs> know when there's going to be a correction, which is basically a 10% you know, drop from the recent high um, or a correction um, or, 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 or like you know, a huge crash or something like that. We know that these things happen. Uh, as you said, there's, you know, what every other year, every, th- you know, there's uh, every other year, there's a probability of uh, getting a drop of 10% or so, um, you know, every, like, I think every um, three, four years, you get like a 20% drop or so on average. Um, so these things happen, but nobody really knows when they're going to happen. And if you don't know when it's going to happen, it basically means that you're going to be sitting out on potential gains. Yeah. And, and. And that can be really costly because, you know, if the market is on average going up 10% mm. and it is going down on some instances 20%, basically means that on in some instances also went up 30%, right? If you missed out <laughs> the 30% gain, right. it's just... It's expensive, know, right? It's going to be very expensive. But, but Joe Mager, who used to work with us, who, who still works for The Motley Fool, but we have a China as well now as the Chief Investment Officer of Lake House Capital, uh, which I can't say anything more about without getting the lawyers to clear it, so I'll leave it there. Uh, Joe Joe has a, has a quote. I'm pretty sure he stole from somebody else, but it always stuck with me is, do you want to be right or do you want to make money? <laughs> and it's kind of one of those things where a lot of people get caught up in the intellectual challenge of, I'm trying to work out when the next crash will come. Yeah, And it's one of those things, if you've just, if you just said, when it comes, it comes, and I, I ran through about this last week, when it comes, it comes, I'm going to invest anyway. Even though you suffer through those downfalls, the, the good news is that the, gr- the returns over time are much, much better by being invested than not being invested. Absolutely. David Gardner has a line about this that, you know, two years out of three, the market's up and, and the market goes up more than it goes down. So overall, by, by simply bearing with the falls, you end up in a much better position than trying to anticipate them in the first place. He, he, if you ask him, is the market going to go up or down? He always says up. Up, of course. <laughs> and, and that's because over the long term it goes up. And, uh, and, and that's because, you know, uh, two out of three years it goes up. So uh, it makes sense to be positive and it makes sense to think that the market is going to go up and it makes sense to remain invested. And as you said, I think last week, you know, dollar cost averaging. By all means, I think if you keep some money on the side, you know, to take care of those opportunities, then that's great. Oh, I'm not even a fan of that one, I've got to tell you. Oh, well, some, you know, I, I like to have a little bit of money. Uh, I think the, I think I think that's the illusion of control is my is my bet. Well, but, but you know, one of the, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's an okay. There's an illusion of control, but you know what is important is that when something happens, you should feel in control at that time. And if if having a little bit of money on the side makes you comfortable, yep. allows you to invest through a crash, that's great. I yes, I think, that, and that, that's. I, I say to you guys semi-regularly, the only good advice is the advice that's taken or the advice that's followed. And I think to that extent, you are dead right. I think yeah. there is an intellectually, theoretically 
correct way to do it, which is and invest always, right? And, and there's a way which is which is which keeps people. Ha- I've I've I actually have some cash on in my account now, only because I haven't got around to investing it. Yeah, uh, there's so I normally say, hey, I'm always fully invested, and that's true. I actually have cash in my account right now because I haven't haven't bought anything recently, but not not for not for any specifically great, wonderful reason that you know, has anything to do with the market levels or company. Op- I just literally haven't got around to it. I've been too busy. Uh, but as a matter of course, I'd prefer to say fully invested because I am okay with riding that wave. But as you say, if you're someone who wants to be able to say when the market crashes, I'm going to be able to take advantage and that makes you feel better and more in control, um, then again, if it, if it helps you manage your emotions through that period, then that's a fantastic place to be and a, and a good idea. Cool. I just wouldn't do it. No. All right. So we can't time the market is the answer. Is that right? Yes, you can't time the market. All right. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. I'm going to throw you one last one, mate. All right. Okay. Go for it. Buy low, sell high. No. Yeah, yeah, because you want to buy cheaply and then you want to sell when the share price goes up. You can't go broke taking a profit. I know. I've been around the block. I know how this works, mate. As long as you buy low and sell high, you're going to make a fortune. I'm going to just disagree with you. How can you disagree with that? If, you, if you're buying cheap and selling expensive, that's... Well, I would just say buy low, yeah. then buy high, and then buy higher. But the shares have already gone up. Why would you want to keep... No, that's a crazy idea. You only want to buy when they're <laughs> low and they sell when they're high. What's the point of buying high? The high price has already gone up. You should be selling there, not buying, surely. So, so what, what if I give you a company? Let's become like, you know, I bought a share price $10. Oh, God, don't it's, do this to Apple. I'm just going to give you an example. I'm not, it's not even about Apple. I'm not oh, even talking goodness. about Apple. All oh, right, okay, okay. I'm not going to talk about Apple. We, we can talk about Google. <laughs> not this time. We can talk about Google. Okay, then, now, okay now, now I'm interested. Go no, but, but, you know, let's not talk about All Google right. either. Hypothetically. Uh, hypothetically. All right. Let's say I buy a share at $10. Yes. The company is doing fantastic. Yes. It's, you know, services are, you know, it's services everybody wants. It's growing profits. Yes. Shares are now $20. Sell. Double money. Right. Done. But I think... Problem solved. But off, I think, off to the pub. But I think this company is going to do even better. It's going to be... It's good. It's going to become great. But the shares have gone up. You don't look a gift horse in the mouth, do you? That's, that's okay. But it's going to become great. So I buy at $20 yeah. and I wait yeah. because I know it's going to go to $80. But what if I... But, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe it goes to five. Shouldn't I just uh, take well, the money off the table when I've got the opportunity? No. Well, if you know that the company is doing well, mm-hmm. then there's no reason not to buy high. Because, I, I, I mean, you know, there's again, we're going back to anchoring. We don't want to anchor <laughs> on the price at which we bought. You know it. We want to look at the company and decide today, is it worthwhile to buy based on the future we see or the future we think based on the balance of probabilities? We'll use that word, mm-hmm. uh, fancy word. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, if we think the future is bright and the shares are still good to buy, mm-hmm. then why not buy? And and often I've I've seen that you know great companies they keep doing great things, and they keep going up, right? You know, corporate travel. I'll give. I, I'm sure you'd agree oh, with you're corporate travel. Back at me now. No, no. Haven't you recommended cor- <laughs> corporate travel at higher and higher prices? Possibly. And each one of and each one of them, I Possibly. would say, have done well. Possibly. Right. And again, as long as the company's execution is great, I I think there is nothing wrong with buying. At a higher price, don't mm. look at the previous price. You know, at least I tried not to look. It's very hard. It's hard to say that I did not buy more then, but that's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to look at the current price and decide if the market is paying a fair price or is it underpriced. And do you think the future is bright? If the future is bright, then you can buy more. <sighs> you know, I hate agreeing with you. Do you? I do. That's because I said corporate travel. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I, this is this is one of the you know one of my least favorite 
uh, sayings in the market is you can't go broke taking a profit. Mm. Because as we've talked about before, you're only going to be right if you're good at this stuff about six times out of 10. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure those ones that are right, you well and truly cover the ones that you're wrong about. And I think that's investors who want to say, I'll make 10% and sell, 10% and sell. That's great as long as you're right every single time. If you start to lose a bit of money, you can't sell. You can't make enough ten percent gains yep. to to pay for all the losses, and that's that's the real challenge with investing. It is so tempting, as you say, to anchor. We all anchor as a matter of course. It's built into our DNA, right? We 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 learn from the past. We we have, you know, in our in our subconscious, let alone conscious minds, these experiences in the past, these pain points, these you know milestones, the things that kind of help us anchor ourselves literally to life really don't help us at all when it comes to investing. We're not evolutionarily prepared for investing. No. We can't we can't do it naturally. And so we have to overcome our own, you know, monkey brains, our own reptilian mm-hmm. brains to to really deliver a great um, investing performance. And one of those is exactly that, that when a share price is up, you kind of feel like, oh now I've made some money, I don't want to lose that. The fear of potentially losing it makes us take money out too early. Uh, a million exa- all of the here's the thing, all of the best companies of the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, the, the truly great ones are the ones that you never wanted to sell no matter how high the price got. Berkshire's gone from 60 bucks to $300,000. Mm-hmm. Apple's gone from two to... That's got like from what, 220 or something like that. Right. right? I mean, it's, an, right, it's right. a 16 bagger in last 10 years. Right, right. Right. And you could have bought multiple times along that path, yeah. paid a higher price and still be okay. Or you could have bought... Ten years ago, yeah, sold out with the money, when the when the share price doubled. doubled, felt like you were a genius, <laughs> yeah. and lost out on truly life changing wealth. Amazon went from a hundred to, th- to sorry from nine, sorry again, from three to hundred, back to nine, yeah, and now to two thousand dollars a share. So like two thousand dollars, yeah, two thousand. Did I say two thousand? You said thousand. Oh, there you go, two thousand. Two thousand. <laughs> Corporate travel has gone from two dollars thirty to thirty bucks. You know, the, these are uh, flights and similar gains. Um, even 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 the banks, as much as we don't love them, you know, the, the, the cochlear, success of these cochlear, companies, right, lots CSL, of companies, yeah, um, taking profit in any of those businesses. People say, "Oh, yeah, now, but I, I saw I, I took profit when they went up, then I bought again when they fell." No one can do that reliably. Well, if, yeah. if you are, then good luck, you're a genius because they are, it is so rare. It's like rocking horse. You know what? Um, you just don't want to try that game. You are far, far better off finding great businesses and hanging on for as long as if you do the buying well. The selling is rarely going to make a difference. Yeah. Just hold those companies while they're great. If they stop being great, that's a whole different story. Yeah. Well, they keep being great, as you rightly said, Doc. You just, yeah, honestly, <laughs> just go and find something new to buy. Don't cost out in selling. Try to sell stuff that, if, again, if it's just being great, by all means, sell. Uh, if it keeps being great, just yeah. let the thing run. It, it'll feel uncomfortable and weird. And, you know, if you anchor, you'll feel like you have made a lot of money. I learned that lesson. So I've learned two lessons here. I, I, we, we recommended Domino's at six bucks a share, mm-hmm. double to 12. I was a genius. Mm. I sold the shares for. Mm. I told our members sold the shares. We banked the profits. I was an absolute genius. Six to thirteen bucks, double the money. Shares went to seventy-seven bucks, and now seeing about forty-five. I finally re-recommended it about this price, give or take, a few months back. And so, so you've got the opportunity to redeem yourself here. Completely. Well, the, well, exactly. Except that I missed the way on the way through. I missed a That's four true. bagger in the meantime. Mm. Um, e- equally, corporate travel. I remember when I, we recommended it about two dollars forty, give some give or take. Uh, the shares then went to six, and I re-recommended it at six, and mm. I was petrified. The share price already doubled. How much can it go up from here? Oh, this is probably silly. I, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm not sure this is the right thing to do. Now, it's gone to 30 bucks, so I look like a genius. Don't, don't get me wrong. I've, I've made some mistakes as well, but I learned my lesson very early on with the Domino's sale um, to buy quality businesses and hold on while they remain great. If you do your job well in the buying, the selling just doesn't tend to matter anywhere near as much. And again, this is a game of averages, not a game of perfection. On average, if you do it well, you do it right, it'll more than pay itself off. And that's probably the, the biggest lesson I've learned in the past five years in investing, actually, is to add 
to those, not necessarily add to winners, that's part of it, just not be afraid of rising share prices. If the, if the value still looks like it's there, um, don't be afraid to, to buy or buy more. I'll, I'll add one quick story here. Um, Go for it. Um, I bought Netflix shares at $8. Nice. Okay. Then when they became $24. Yeah, that's a triple. That's a triple. I sold some. Well done. Mm-hmm. Then when they went to, I think, $40, oh, I yeah. sold some more. Hey, nice. How much are the shares today? <sighs> they I, are three hundred and eighty dollars. Oh, up from eight to three eighty. Yeah. yeah. So I, I rectified some of that. I bought back again. You know, at other prices, hey, well much done. higher. Well done. That's all right. <laughs> now, it, Netflix still is my oh, largest man. position. If I hadn't sold any one of these, you wouldn't be here, would you? Well, probably not. <laughs> okay. Mate, no, on behalf I'd, of, I'd still be here. On behalf of the Molly Fullen and our <laughs> listeners, mate, I'm glad you didn't do that, no. but I am I am sorry for the psychic grief you, you uh, feel uh, the results yeah, of but, that. But, I mean, you know, that's, again, one of those examples where, you know, share price rises yeah. and it looks like, you know, oh, I got to do something. Yeah. Most of the time, actually doing something is really bad. I, I, we, we did wrap this up, mate, but I will say one thing is the – I've ranted about this before, so I'll try not to rant. I'll just cut me off if I go too long. The whole buy on the dips thing. You talked. You talked yeah. before about you know market crashes and timing the market. Mm. Those people say when it pulls back five percent, I'll buy some then. Yeah. Um, they just never do, right? Like, it, it just just again, if the value's there, just buy. Yes, it feels it feels it feels really difficult. It feels mm. actively difficult. Like it's almost painful. Yeah. To buy when the shares are on the way up, and you kind of think, oh, with my luck, I'm going to buy, then the share price is going to crash. It's going to be terrible, and I've missed the chance, and it's already up, and it's so visceral, right? I I, I still feel that way yeah. myself, right? I have to actively, and this is so for listeners. It's not something you kind of go, oh, now I know that it's okay. You literally have to fight your evolution all the time. It's tough. That's what we have it, to do. It's right? really tough. Yeah. But if you can do it, and, and we hope you can, it is just so valuable. If I look at the I've, – I've done reasonably well on Amazon, for example. Mm. I've held Berkshire for a long time and done done okay on that. Um, corporate travel, as I've talked about. It's so it's so tempting to look at it and go, oh, I'm going to be – what I'm going to do, I'm going to buy. And, of course, the market hates me. So as soon as I buy, the shares will fall, and I'll say, yeah. oh, I shouldn't have done that. Those things, it's all anchoring. It's all anchoring. And yeah. it's so difficult. I, I still, still, years and years into my investing career as, as a professional investor, let alone an amateur investor, I've done this just so many times and it still feels difficult. It still feels painful. It, it is tough. But yeah. you've got to let your intellectual knowledge overcome that evolutionary fear because it really, again, don't just buy anything because it's gone up. Don't momentum trade. We're not, we're not saying buy it just because it's gone up. We're saying buy quality even if it's gone up. Um, just do the right thing. Buy, buy the right companies when you get a decent price, not a low price, not the price lower than yesterday. Don't buy on the dips. It's a stupid idea. Just buy when it's good value because if the dips don't come, man, if you'd waited for Amazon to fall from, you know, it went from from 3 to 100 back to 9 If you waited to $8 yeah. or $6 or $5 and you didn't get it, you just missed it out. 2000 bucks. Yeah, you just, missed out on a, in an epic run. Yeah. And, and, and as you said, you know, there's this buying on the dips thing. You know, your, your shares oh. go up, let's say 20%, and then they fall back 5%. I mean, me really, mad. does it really help you? Yeah. Was it worth waiting? You should have bought them at 20% <laughs> exactly. let's go, wouldn't you? <laughs> so, so, yeah. Uh, madness. Yeah. Madness. Buy quality fools. That is our lesson, I think. Yeah. Buy, buy great, opportunity, right? Yeah. Buy great companies, yeah. basically. All right. That's a great way to finish, man. I'm going to just simply wrap it there because you can't get better than buy great companies. Buy great companies all the time. It's a very foolish thing to do. Absolutely. Capital F foolish. Capital F foolish. All right. That does wrap us up, mate. So before we go, well, I mean, you and I are already gone. We're on holiday somewhere. But mm-hmm. before our listeners go, before we finish up recording for this week, don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or, say it with me, 
your favorite Android podcast app. If you've been listening for a while, you know this is the general finish, but I'll just mix it up a little bit. If you like what we're doing, please do give us a big five-star rating on iTunes and tell your friends, leave us a review, leave us a comment, get involved on Twitter, help share some foolishness around the world. God knows with everybody else out there trying to take money away from investors, they could do a little foolish straight talk, I reckon. And don't forget, you can get another dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by signing up at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week live with another dose of Foolish Insight. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.